Welcome to Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rockstar, where I explore the trials and tribulations of being a full-time freelance professional musician in this crazy business we call show. My name is Ivan Funkboy Bodley, and I'll be your host, endeavoring to entertain you with my tales from the road, because sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. Am I Famous Yet? is available as a podcast wherever you get fine podcasts, a YouTube series, and even as an actual book in hardcover, softcover, and Kindle editions on Amazon. Links for all of these, including my social media, can be found at my website, www.funkboy.net, F-U-N-K-B-O-Y.net. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review it, as these things really do help other people find the show. So grab your bass, tune up, and let's hit the road. Hey, it's Ivan. Welcome to Road Rage, rants and ruminations from the rearview mirror. There is much to tell. As I mentioned last time, on Sunday, I played my ninth performance at Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations over to the Broadway. As I mentioned previously, though it was my ninth performance overall, it was only my first one in 20 months since the pandemic shutdown. I had about four days notice to shake off the rust and get the show back under my hands before the matinee on Sunday. I spent multiple hours each day trying to do just that. I can only tell you that in retrospect, it seems to have worked. The show went very well. It felt really good to be back on deck at a Broadway show after such a prolonged absence, though I did decide that I was going to have to step up my practice routine for that particular musical in order to keep it up to par. I described last time that it's a much more physically demanding book to play than most. Going forward, I've decided to practice the show on upright bass just for the strength training, so I'll be able to wrestle more successfully with the pit bass the next time I go into sub. Monday, I was looking forward to a much-needed day off. That plan got stymied, of course, by a last-minute call to sub once again in the house band at the Richie Kanata Jam Session at the Bitter End. It's a call I'm only too happy to get. It just meant that I would have to rest another day. It further meant that I was now in the middle of a run of 18 shows in seven days with 19 different acts in three states and two countries without a day off. No problem, right? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday, I finished up the run of Regina Comet just off of the Broadway. That show was a lot of fun to do, even with the initial panic to prepare the material. Sunday night after the show, we had a little closing night champagne toast. Though I was still the new guy in the room and just a sub in the band, it was fun to celebrate with the entire company. Friday and Saturday, I spent in Atlantic City, New Jersey, performing at the East Coast Music Hall of Fame Scholarship Fundraiser Events at Harris Casino. We backed up 12 acts over the course of three shows in two days. There was a Friday evening show, a Saturday matinee, and Saturday evening, all completely different programs with four acts each. Mark Barron, our musical director, did a heroic job of assembling and distributing all the charts we would be performing. Even though each act was playing about a 20-minute set, we were still looking at something like 60 charts that needed to be executed as if we had been backing each of the artists for years. I had played with only a couple of the acts previously, The Tokens, The Skyliners, The Classics, and Bobby Rydell. The others were all new to me, including The Times, The Vogues, and 85-year-old Charlie Gracie, who was famously a guitar hero to The Beatles, among others. I went through the material at home as best I could with only a limited amount of time to prepare. Many of the charts sight read straight down and were pretty easy 12-8 doo-wop style tunes. A few required some heavy sight reading ability and included odd meter bars like Say a Little Prayer for Me and River Deep Mountain High. 
Yet a few more were heavily arranged and fully notated with 16th note figures. There was even a version of Stand By Me done in an R&B feel with multiple key changes. It was like a Broadway arrangement of a normally four-chord song. The bigger challenges arose with charts written by someone who probably normally writes for a marching band and includes no chord symbols on their sheets. This makes for a good sight-reading challenge, but it doesn't necessarily allow even an experienced reader to know what else is going on in the band. Reading something like that cold is always a bit of a Hail Mary. It doesn't allow the first playing of them to be the best. And a situation like this was, with little to no rehearsal time available, that hurts the potential for success. More challenging still were the charts that were given that were five-page multiple stave charts that have a roadmap jumping from page four back to page one. They're unwieldy, especially on an iPad. I had to recopy and reduce several of those to make them usable. Finally, there were charts that were just plain illegible and or wrong because they were handwritten years ago, photocopied so many times that the ink had started to fade, and possibly contained lots of mistakes to begin with. All of this required me to rewrite a bunch of songs even before trying to get them under my hands. I did the best I could. We had a two-hour rehearsal before each two-hour show. Most charts got played exactly once, then we had to move on to stay on schedule. Lastly, even with all of the prep time, it was impossible to practice Bobby Rydell's songs in advance. His drummer-conductor subscribes to the old-school view that written arrangements are valuable and subject to theft by pickup musicians in local towns so he refuses to advance the material. One has to read it cold at rehearsal. Furthermore, this method of bandleading assumes that any musician who calls themselves professional should be able to read well. While this may have been true in past eras, it's less so today. Horn players are educated as readers. Rhythm section players are largely self-taught and are far less skilled than similar players may have been years ago. The highly coveted written arrangement is less of a resource to hoard in modern times now that everything in the world is available on the internet. To make it even more interesting, this drummer conductor is probably the quintessential caricature of a curmudgeon. He's very grumpy and seems to hate bass players and horn players as a class of people. Horn players, I understand, but bass players? Oddly, he seems to give a pass to guitar players and keyboard players who mostly just have to play the right chords to survive the book. The songs are arranged in a big band style with six horns, Horns and bass have to match a lot of specific written figures with the drums. As only a mediocre sight reader and knowing the specific foibles about to befall me, this made for a tense rehearsal. I made it through, but with a few skinned knees and turned ankles. I looked at the charts again briefly during our break before the show. It helped a little. Bobby's set was at the very end of the show, so by the time we got there, I was feeling fairly relaxed. The previous four acts had gone over very well. Because of my calmer state, I was actually reading the book better. It's amazing how positively relaxation affects one's performance. This is The Funk Boy, signing off.